Can we turn our, to our Bibles now, open those up to Psalm 96. Josh has already got a little a few appetizers out there for it. And I'm excited to, to spend some time in this psalm this morning. Well, it is, uh, it is Minnesota State Fair time. Oh, are there any fair folks here? Like, I, I, we, we, are, we are fair folks. I know there's like haters and whatnot, but um, I was there Friday. There was a record attendance of 160,000 people, and they agree with me that it's pretty awesome. Um, that a lot of people went. The fair is, is an epic location full of objects of happiness everywhere. Um, the, the fairgrounds, if you've been to the Minnesota State Fair, and hopefully you've all at some point, I mean, huge signs, buildings, food carts, uh, lights, everything is, is, is saying, come here and enjoy me. Like, I am the best, I am the greatest, uh, deep fried something. If it's rides, the, of course, the yellow slide, uh, the, the concerts, I mean, every, there's, there's com- competitions about which livestock is the best. Um, best bull or the best corn dog, and then you've got the slew of salesmen everywhere trying to sell you a boat or a, a tractor if you you know need a tractor. Um, and in each year, there's introduction to something new, something better. We 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 follow what new foods are gonna they they've concocted, and we want to taste that. That is better and tastier. This it really is an invitation. Come see, taste the goodness. And enjoy the glory. This is this is what it is. And I, as I was at the fair on on Friday, I walking around. I was I was thinking about this psalm and its connection. Granted, there's going to be no reference to corn dogs in Psalm 96, but it, there's an invitation to something. There, there's there's a sign that that is saying, "Come and experience a deeper, truer happiness that we were made for." Come behold, come and taste the goodness, come enjoy the glory of God who is all beautiful, who reigns, and he's the best. This is what this psalm captures, and, and we've been in the psalm this summer, we've considered all different types and different themes, and this is a song of thank, psalm of thanksgiving, and these psalms have purpose. They, we are supposed to pray them, we're supposed to sing them. Uh, with others and for others, and they've all invited us to, to look to the Lord, to, to trust in Him, to worship Him, to treasure Him, for we were made for Him. All people in all creation. And as we're going to see our psalm today, it, it's a, it's a, it invites us to worship and believe in our God as a witness to the world. Our, our witness to the world is rooted in how we worship, what we worship. And we will see this connection this morning between our worship and our mission to make him known. His mission for us to go and make disciples. And so let's look at this psalm together. We're going to read, and there's all these invitations and commands for our own souls to enjoy God, for us to bring our community and and also to the whole world. And as we read, just, just feel, let's feel this invitation, this excitement, and register the commands, register the goals, register uh, the reasons as, as we read this morning. Psalm 96, this is the Lord's word to us. Oh, sing 
to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Let's pray. Well, Lord, you, you reign. You reign. You rule. You are Lord. You are King. And, and God, for us to, to say that, for us to believe that, for us to even this morning to sing and respond to your word to that is, is your grace. It is your kindness that we can even recognize that in, even in part this morning. And, and Lord, I ask this morning, as we, we consider this psalm, this invitation to, to know you and to worship you, um, the, the beauty of who you are, this, your strength and your splendor, Lord, I, Lord, come by your Spirit and let, let that rise within our hearts. Let us see and know and taste and believe and respond to that in a fresh way today. We need your spirit to come and do that in our hearts. We cannot conjure that up. We cannot make that happen. It has to be a work of you upon us. So we ask you to come and do that by your spirit, through your word, in your son, Jesus. Everyone said, amen, amen. Now a few details before we consider the psalm. Psalm 96 fits into a grouping of similar psalms Psalm 93 to Psalm 100, all that declare uh, and focus on on the kingship of the Lord, Yahweh. Uh, We've we've spent a couple weeks looking at that distinctive covenant name, Yahweh, and it speaks of Yahweh as as Lord, as the one who rules as God and creator and king. For example, uh, Psalm 93.1, it says, the Lord reigns, he is robed in majesty. Psalm 97.1, the Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. Psalm 99.1, the Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. There is a distinct response to God because He reigns. And they are songs of Yahweh's rule over all nations and all creation. And it's this psalm and those psalms are loaded with the reasons on why we should do such a thing. 
And, and far from a sort of somber, mumbling voices, uh, Psalm 96 invites us to, as Josh pointed to, with exclamation marks, shout. There, there's a bunch of exclamation marks in this one. I thought of just yelling the entire sermon with a smile, but I figured it would uh, be a little distracting. Um, there's nothing boring here at all. Uh, commentator Derek Kidner writes, nothing listless or introverted, nothing stale if it's the praise of God. If it's the praise of God. If we, if we do really encounter Yahweh as He really is, there's nothing introverted or stale about that. And this psalm invites us to that reality. And, and in the background is this, this even amazing piece. Psalm 96 is found in its entirety in 1 Chronicles chapter 16. That chapter recounts the Ark of the Covenant being brought into Jerusalem and is to be placed in the tent of meeting. And, and King David is busy organizing and setting in motion what worship should look like there in Israel. And, and this is what a king's job should be. The priests played a very vital role in Israel's worship, but the king was to, to set this in order, organize Israel's worship, set the pace and the tone, and call God's people to faithful worship of Yahweh. And so that's what David did. He, he, he organized the singers and the musicians. There's, there's trumpets, there is cymbals, there's harps, there's this worship team, and it's far from boring. It is an intense, epic worship scene if you go back and read and reflect on that, just earlier when the ark was coming into the city is when David was just letting his praise loose and his wife got all embarrassed because of how intense his praise was. And so David organized the worship of Israel. He appoints Asaph and his brothers to sing this song of thanksgiving. And then we see embedded in the longer section, Psalm 96. And this, it's captured, this book of Chronicles captures this it was written long after David uh, had passed, but it was for Israel to reflect as they returned from exile in Babylon to recount the story of David, see God's faithfulness through providing a king, to lead God's people into faithful worship of the true king, Yahweh, who is Lord, who is creator, and for all of them, all creation, all nations to come and worship in his presence. And so this is, a, is an echo of what we see here in Psalm 96. And this is what we should see. This is kind of the main idea I hope we capture this morning. Our worship is to be a witness to the world, and our worship comes from responding to God's glory. So we're going to look at this psalm in three parts, and they kind of anchor around these three commands that we see, sing, ascribe, and say. These are descriptions of worship, and it is worship determined by who the Lord is and what we are called to do and call others to. So let's look at this first thing. What, what are we to sing and, and tell the nations? Well, first we see this, this command, and there's, it's repeated three times, this command, sing to the Lord, sing to Yahweh. And this is addressing God's people initially. Um, and in the original language, it's kind of hidden, but these are, these is written in the plural um, and so it's not just individual response to worship. This is calling God's people. God's people together to gather and to sing to the Lord. Followed by a symmetrical command, these three symmetrical commands to praise or bless, to proclaim 
And in the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, there's actually the, the word good news right there. We are proclaiming good news and to declare and tell. It's, it's singing and declaring the good news of God's salvation, his deliverances. God's people are to, the rhythm of God's people is day in and day out declaring the greatness and, and goodness of God and his salvation to all the earth. And yet the things we do day in and day out, uh, you know what they are maybe in your life, they, they can get cold and stale and old. We get, we get bored with them. And I just love this, this, this point of a call to sing a new song. Does this mean we've got to come up with something new every time we sing? Well, I think we're helped by commentator John Collins. He suggests the term new song need not imply a freshly composed song. Instead, it may mean singing this song as a response to a fresh experience of God's gracious working for his people. I, I appreciate that. We, we're in need of new melodies and new songs and new lyrics, new hymns, but but it is what the heart believes and feels as it sings that makes it true worship and makes it new. Well, that makes it real worship. And God's people can sing well-known ancient songs of old, but it can be new as they sing the covenant promises of God as they experience His grace and His mercy and His glory in fresh ways. That makes it it makes it nothing that is introverted and nothing that is stale when it's the worship of God. And this, this psalm invites people, God's people, to do that. And so this, it's singing to God, but notice what it says, and declare among the nations. Somehow the singing is to God and it is also a singing to others. Uh, the reference to nations here is the reference to all the non-Israelite worshipers, so all the Gentiles. And there's many ways that it speaks of in the psalm. All the earth, or all the peoples, or all the families of the peoples, or the world that is all speaking to those who are not those covenant, uh, called covenant uh, people of Israel. So God's people are being commanded to invite all nations to worship Yahweh. And this is a fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham a covenant that, that through his offspring, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. And it was an invitation for all to come and worship the God of Yahweh, Jew and Gentile. So in other words, we are, the, the worshiper is speaking to God and speaking about God to others. We can do that. Um, um, I, I just had the, the name Bob in here as a kind of generic person, and I thought, I've got a Bob here. That, so I can, I can tell Bob that he is a really swell guy, and he is a really swell guy. Um, and I can also tell you that Bob is a really swell guy. And this is what we see, this, this duality of our praise. We are speaking and singing Israel's to declare the glories of God. And in that declaration, it's going to spill out that others will know how great and glorious this God is. And so this declaring and this telling and this singing doesn't just tell us to do, but it gives us all of these reasons why. Look at verse 4, for or because. And it, we, really, we see two reasons in this section because he's greater, he's, he's the one, the only one to be feared, 
and that he alone is creator who is holy and majestic. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. That means the Lord is the only one. He, he is absolute. He is the only true God deserving of worship. And we can say the weather is great and being a parent is great and cheese curds at the state fair are great, but, but these aren't the same thing when we say great. There is a greatness that supersedes and defines all things that are great. And God, Yahweh, is great. Worship God because He is great, and He is greatly to be praised, meaning our worship should match how awesome He is. And He is not boring, and He is not stale. So let our worship of God, let it match in some way. We never can and never will, but His glory and His greatness. And about that is, is our worship should be observable. Uh, the worship of God, and, and if it matches how glorious and how much He is treasured, it will be observed. People observe the things we treasure and that we love. It's very true. I, I did not grow up in Minnesota. I, I'm uh, kind of a transplant, even though I've been here like, for like 20 plus years now. But there was this, this sort of Nordic uh, stoicism that uh, it became observable as I was around. And yet there is a little bit of a dichotomy in my mind. It, it, I, I think it's a bit of a, a farce because I've been in concerts. I've been in locations where, where I've seen uh, Minnesotans get really reckless and crazy. Um, the, the, it's the chicks now, not the Dixie chicks, right? They were at, at uh, the, uh, the fair, and if you've been to the fair and the bandstand, or the grandstand's playing, I mean, you could hear it everywhere. It was unreal loud. And we, we heard them playing, and we heard the crowd singing with them and yelling and screaming at the end of the song. And there's one point we're walking through an area outside of the grandstand, and, and there I saw hundreds of people singing the song that was going on in the grandstand with their spouses and people that are working behind booths. They were caught up in this, this sort of praise and response to what was good and beautiful and enjoyable in that moment. But there is a place for quiet, inward meditation and response to the Lord. But there's something that should happen in us when we encounter God as glorious. A big praise because He is big and great and glorious. And He is the one whom all worship should be restricted to. The only one being and Lord and King who's deserving it. For He alone created and is full of beauty and holiness and majesty. And the psalmist puts this in contrast to all the, the gods that are really fakes. That they're, they're no things, right? They're, they're idol, they're, these idols are not gods at all that do not deserve any praise. In contrast, God's people know who to worship. The prophet Isaiah exposes the, the stupidity of idols in this amazing chapter, in chapter Isaiah chapter 44. It's an indictment to the foolishness of idols those who make them and those who worship them. And he uses this illustration about considering a carpenter who cuts down a tree. And what does he do? Uh, chapter 44, verse 15, he says, it, He used it as fuel for burning. Some of it he takes and warms himself. He kindles a fire and takes, bakes bread. But he also fashions a god and worships it. He makes an idol and bows down to it. Half of the wood he burns in the fire over it. He prepares his meal. He roasts his meat and eats his fill. 
he also warms himself and says, ah, I am warm. I see the fire. From the rest, he makes a god, his idol. He bows down to it and worships. He prays to it and says, save me. You are my god. They know nothing. They understand nothing. I mean, you just, it sounds so dumb, right? It sounds so dumb. We don't have, you know, small wooden idols around us here in our culture. But, but the point is, all those things that do become idolatry for us are, are nothing. And we read something like this and say, why are we worshiping them? This seems so foolish. They're powerless to save. They do not reign. They did not create. They're just a created thing. And that's sort of the tricky thing about idols, right? In the moment, they don't look that stupid. They look shiny. They look like refuge. They look like saviors. Tim Keller helpfully defines an idol like this. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts. If I have that, then I will feel my life is meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. There are many ways to describe that kind of relationship to something, but perhaps the best one is worship. The best way to describe that relationship is worship. Psalm 96 is helping us to expose the stupidity and the foolishness of those things that we find ourselves having relationship with to try to achieve something, some sort of peace, some sort of refuge. It could be anything. It could be a thing or a money or a spouse or a career or health and beauty or achievement that only God, we should, only in God should we look to and deserves praise for and hope in that he can provide. The psalmist tells us that all those things are empty. And there's some, something powerful about day-to-day worship that helps rattle God's people's hearts from those foolish idols. That's a day-to-day thing we must do to have those idols exposed and to lean into the full splendor and beauty and strength and majesty that our God alone has. God made the heavens. God created all things. He is the one to be to receive with thanks and to praise Him for all of those gifts. And so why, why singing? Uh, can we just think on that for a minute? We, I, I am thankful that you are a singing church. I, I just I love being here and being able to hear your voices. We're commanded to sing in this text. And there, there are over 400 references to singing and over 50 direct commands to sing to the Lord. Scripture informs us as God's people that we are to be a singing people. We're a singing people because we are made in God's image. He is a singing God. Zephaniah tells us that he sings over his people. And we have, again, the plethora of commands like Psalm 105.2, sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of his wondrous works. Psalm 5.11, let all who take refuge in you rejoice, let them ever sing for joy. Jesus sang with his disciples. James 5.13 tells us, if anyone is cheerful, let him sing praise. So, over all the history of Israel and the thousands of years of history of the church, there is one prominent thing that we would hear in a congregation as it gathers. It was the voices of God's people singing. And even before amplification and everything else, which can drown that out, it, it should be the distinct reality. God has purpose to use singing to strengthen, to grow, and mature God's church, His people, 
and also allow that to be a witness to the thing that we most treasure in love. I heard that all over the, the, the fair. There, there was, there's something about that singing that is a reality in our hearts should be that with, that should be part for our hearts for the strengthening of us as God's people. And we, we see texts like Ephesians 5, which tells us to be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Worship is to God, but our worship is also for the building up of others around us. Church, I, I need your big praise and singing. You, you need my singing. We, we need each other's big, glad-hearted praise. And in that, our singing does something as we gather and we lean into the Lord, not as spectators, but as together as God's people. And so just as with the praise of Israel was to galvanize truths being sung in their mind and their heart and stirring affections and hope that just reading and listening to something will not accomplish, it is for us as well. So just as worship leaders are not the object of praise, but are to direct our gaze to God, we are all to assistance in that goal. Brothers and sisters and the world around us and our neighbors as they hear us and see us believing with our hearts and expressing that with voices and bodies, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. So church, your praise matters. It is here to build up the body of Christ. And it is for a witness to those who maybe would come in these doors as well. I want to offer a couple encouragements for us this morning, if I could do that. We all know that our worship is not contained to, to Sunday a.m., right? Our, we live lives of worship to the Lord. Our lives are lives of worship to Him. But what we do from 10 a.m. to 11.30 on Sunday is important. Uh, it, is in, it is important, and there is intentionality about what we do at 10.01, uh, this morning, Ebby, he thoughtfully prepared and considered that text so that we could be a people who hear God's word and respond to him based on what his word says and what song one communicates and our readings and our fellowship and the sermon and our, the Lord's table and the benediction text as you hear us communicate and send you out as those on mission in Jesus. That they're all important, all means to use, that God uses to lift our hearts in worship to him. And so I want to encourage us to be sure we prioritize all of those elements together. And particularly as we, as we want to be a church on mission, knowing that there are going to be people that are saved that come to our church and want to connect with us, and unbelievers that come in this store. And, and there are, have been Sundays, and granted some of it has been summer, where there's been like six people in here at 10 a.m. And, and, and maybe three of them are guests visiting us. Um, church, we, we, we need to prioritize those, all those elements for worship. And then secondly, let's let our praise be big. The, the, the Nordic stoicism is, a, is false. Uh, let's worship him. He's great and greatly to be praised. Let our hearts and our bodies be full of praise to the Lord and his glory. I was moved by this recently. Our friends in the Middle East, I 
I get updates and we try to share those. I was sent a video of our brothers gathering with some of the poorest of poor, these brick, these, uh, these folks that are work at brick factories. And if you've got our updates and kind of know what's been going on over there, just some of the persecution that's been taking place, particularly around Christians, some churches burned, homes destroyed, and they're, they're clapping and singing and worshiping the Lord. And it did something in me. They, the, they, knew, they know the Lord reigns. And as they declared the Lord reigns in that expression of worship, it lifted my heart to hope and trust as well. So the question isn't if I'm worshiping. It is the question, what are we worshiping? What, what grabs our attention? What are we depending on for significance and security? And this morning... Let us turn and set our hope in the one that is full of strength and full of beauty and who reigns today. So we were made to worship God and worship with God's people. And our worshiping testifies to witnessing to the world around us, to the nations and calling them to worship them as well. And this is what we see in verse 7. To ascribe, ascribe all nations and give glory that he alone is due. So we see this, this kind of uh, repetition again, this poetic three times. Ascribe, 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 ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Well, what does it mean to ascribe uh, to something? Ascribe is, is to say to me, like, this is, this is the source. This is, uh, this is the cause or the, the reason for, the, for this very thing. Uh, this, is where, this is what deserves credit. Um, this is what owns the rights to something. And we aren't giving him, uh, God something that he doesn't already have. We aren't giving him glory or strength. He has all of those things. But God's people are called to recognize it, to attribute all the glory and praise that he alone is due. I'm excited for football season. Who's excited for football Fall season is upon us. Let's ponder for a moment an epic football moment. January, I had to look this up. This wasn't in my head, by the way. January 14th, 2018. Vikings and Saints, NFC division round game. The fans may know what the, the, the catch was, right? What was the catch that day? What was it called? What? Minneapolis miracle, right? Ten seconds left. Vikings are on their own 39. It's third and 10. Saints are up 24-23. Case Keenum connects with Stefan Diggs. He breaks a tackle. He runs all the way down into the end zone, and the place just becomes unhinged. I, I almost turned the game off, and I remember, like, distinctly, we were down as family, like, let's just keep watching this sad ending. And we were just, and immediately, like, running around the living room. It was unreal. I'll never forget that moment. It was the Minneapolis miracle. Stefan Diggs, he took his helmet off him and his hands were up just in the end zone and everyone just, I mean, the place was lit up. Now imagine for a moment, let's imagine this, some nobody practice squad receiver starts to tweet out what an amazing catch he had. And, uh, like, did you see that? And he's you know, setting up some TikTok videos of him doing the gritty or something. And, and uh, he's claiming to own the glory of that moment somehow as his own doing. 
Now imagine like how people would respond to this guy. I mean, the hate that would ensue with him. It's ridiculous. It's, it's a farce, right? It's, it's, it would be like me going to the Minneapolis Institute of Art and walking up to one of uh, art and Walking up to a Monet or one of the Van Goghs and just, you know, kind of scratching out the artist's name. Just Nate was just Nate, right? I mean, how foolish. I would get arrested, one. Um, but how foolish that would be. I mean, this, the, these things sound stupid and foolish. And yet, and yet we can so easily ascribe glory to something other than the one who alone deserves glory. We ascribe glory to ourselves, or we, we look to something else as the one that, or think something that deserves all praise and trust. And, and yet, in awe, in awe of who He is, we are to ascribe all the glory that God alone deserves. We recognize He is Creator, that He is King, that He is all beautiful and Lord of lords and King of kings, and His, His beauty and His separateness, that means He's completely holy and other than anything that we are. And Israel would be doing this as they came in faith and obedience to bring their offerings and sacrifices to the temple, saying, He is the one who is deserving of praise. Or renewing their minds and their hearts in worship. Lord, you alone, you alone, we ascribe to you your due. We bow our hearts and we give you your due. And Israel was to do this for their own soul, but their worship to Yahweh was, was communicating a witness to the world of what they treasured and who they looked to to determine what was reality in the world. What was right, what was good, what was wise, what was beautiful, what was pure. And that all of the world would come also to recognize us as image bearers of this one true God. And this is what we are to do as well. We are, our worship is, is calling the world around us to see themselves as image bearers of God who are to know and ascribe to Him alone glory. John Piper captures this, I think, very well in this, this quote. And you, you could exchange the word mission for evangelism, if that would help. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. And when this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Our worship is doing something. We, what we ascribe glory to in our life, the world is witnessing and seeing and our worship is an invitation. How we live, what we do is an invitation for others to experience the thing that we love, the love we have for God that is tangible. And when it is tangible and full of joy and, and full of, uh, uh, of hope, the world will see that something is very compelling about that reality. And hopefully they would then turn as well to hope and joy in God. So the song goes like this, people everywhere, co-workers, neighbors, you who don't know God, recognize, ascribe, know, see and respond to God rightly. See him as the one that is due glory and strength. You were made for him. Come and experience and find salvation and joy. And th this is where all of creation and all of history is going, where I believe Piper is right. It is where our worship is 
going. And one day all creation will gladly submit and experience His glory and reign. And the entire world and every man and woman and child will bow before this one true God. And this is is where our third section of our psalm directs us as worshipers. Say, all nations in creation prepare. Look at verse 10 with me. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. God's people are to believe and sing and declare to the world, God is king and he reigns. All of history was from him, it's for him, and it's going to him. Trust in him. This, this is the summons for all creation and all people to respond, to prepare for the Lord's coming. That, that the day of the Lord. Uh, the, the end, it's the, the grand story of Scripture. Creation, fall, redemption, and consummation when God comes and makes all things his and redeemed. And we can hear in the latter part of this section this, uh, and through this, ju- this word judgment. Judgment is repeated, interestingly, three times. He comes. He comes to judge the earth. It feels like maybe the, the happy joy in this psalm feels like maybe is it, it being extracted? And we can recoil from that word judgment. And there's a place for this trembling. The, the text calls us to that, a, a bowing and a trembling. And yet... His judgment is filled with hopeful joy for those who are hoping in the Lord. And we, can't, we can feel the joy in this psalm. We, we felt it through. This is, this is good news. And His judgment goes along with the beauty and power of this good news. God is coming and He's going to make all things right. Celebrate His justice and His righteousness as it comes and it's displayed everywhere. Again, Derek Kidner writes, he says, The belief that fallen man, that righteousness, truth, I, dependability, the rules of justice, and the Lord himself are the enemies of joy is scouted by this passage. Where God rules, it implies, his humblest creatures can themselves. Where God is, there is singing. And at the creation, the morning stars sang together, and at his coming, the earth will at last join in Again, where God is, where the worship of God is, there is, there is singing. There's singing because there's, there's joy. Lots of happy singing because all things are going to be made right in his return. God is king and judge will one day come and all his righteousness and his power, meaning all of his, his equity and justice will come and, and everyone will get what they deserve and it will be on full display and all nations and all creation will come under this restorative, glorious reign of our King. And when He returns, it says the earth will never be moved. This is quite the opposite of what we feel on a day-to-day basis. All things always feel like they're in flux. The up and down, like the, the, the sweat-inducing humidity that we experienced this week and now it feels great. But on that day, church, on that day, on that day when his rule comes, he's going to vanquish his enemies, his perfect kingdom is going to be set in place, and there will be no fear anymore. No fear waking up to another unknown, like like crashing markets or rejection and abandonment of a friend or 
natural disasters or unethical leaders or sickness or disease lurking or worries for a friend or a parent. When God establishes his kingdom and his rule, it's going to be a stable, beautiful, unchanging glory for his people. And that's why it is beautiful. And that is why when the king comes, all creation, the fields and the oceans and the trees are singing along with his redeemed people in a chorus together, joy and worship. This is a, this is a beautiful, glorious picture for us. And yet, and yet, we feel the antithesis of this reality, don't we? We, we feel it around us. We feel it in us. Not all nations give God glory that he's due. For some of us, not all families of the na- peoples, the, our very family maybe members, aren't looking and wor- to and worshiping our Savior. And that's heartbreaking. We feel this. We, they don't give Him glory they do, and, and we fail. We sense our own inadequacy to give Him the glory that He is due daily. Creation evidences His brokenness along with our own hearts and our own bodies. Humanity feels it and creation feels it. Yet there's an anticipation that we see in Romans 8 which captures this for us. In chapter 8, verse 19, it says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, not because of him who subjected it in hope, but that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. God's people and God's creation waiting and hoping for this picture in verses 10 through 11. The judgment of God will come, and he will come in his glorious reign as king. And and note, he will judge in his righteousness and his faithfulness. His righteousness and his faithfulness. As kings, David's role was to organize and lead Israel faithfully in worship. He, He did it with excellence and yet we know King David was, was a man, a fallible man, and a fallible human and king. He was the imperfect worship leader in essence. And so we, we do get from this psalm, this question, how could, when God does come in his reign, in his righteousness, in his faithfulness, in his holiness, in awe, that we should be responding to, how do we do this yet without fear of punishment. Well, this psalm points us to, to a, greater, a greater king than King David as a worship leader. The blessings for all nations comes through, remember, the offspring of King David, which points to a future king who would give his people a, a new song. And Jesus is that, that true king, that, that greater king, a, a greater worship leader who invites us into a a, a, an access and an invitation to worship and to know him through what he has done. This new song of salvation that he provides is through the provision, again, of his righteousness and his perfect life and the judgment he took upon the cross for our sins. So, 
This one day of his return when Jesus comes, the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, he will return on that day and he will judge. He, he will judge righteously the living and the dead at his coming and at his reign. And Jesus calls all people, even right now, to trust and worship him. And all who ascribe glory to him, give him his due by faith and trust in what he has done in his life and death and resurrection will know, it, know this joyful salvation. And this is the song that points to, that we see pointed to in Revelation. Revelation tells us of this song, this song that is sung by heaven about Jesus, this new song. And this is what it says. And they sang a new song, saying, For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and You made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And later in chapter 11, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. This is the one day Jesus is coming and restoring and redeeming all things. And where God is, there is singing and there is no introverted or no stale worship there. So for all eternity, all creation and his redeemed, telling of his salvation and everlasting joy, the heavens will be glad and the earth rejoicing, Jesus. Jesus is king and he brings salvation through his blood and his gospel work and all the earth will sing of that. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. So brothers and sisters, there, there is much salvation for us to sing about today and tomorrow, day to day. There is glory to ascribe to God and to his son Jesus today. And there, is in, there are endless things that we are called to say to others about his worth as well. Church, our worship is a witness to the world, and our worship comes from responding and experiencing and knowing more deeply God's glory revealed in His Son, Jesus. So if you're here this morning and you, you don't know Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I, I want to encourage you, invite you to respond to what you've heard this morning and put your faith in Jesus. Ascribe, give Him glory that He is due by placing your hope and trust in Him as King and Savior. So let us go. Let us go, church. Let us go and keep be a, to be a singing, a telling, a declaring people about our King Jesus. For he's great. Amen? And greatly to be praised. Let's, let's pray. Lord, Lord, thank you for inviting us to, to tell of your salvation, to know your salvation um, for our own hearts and souls to be reminded for the, of your beauty and your splendor and your glory, but knowing that, that, that our worship is to have an impact and an effect on those around us as well as we invite our brothers and sisters to joy, fresh joy and renewed joy in you, Lord, and also a, a world, a lost world around us that, that need, who are made for you, Lord, and need to ascribe glory that's due your name and they They can through your son, Jesus. And so, Lord, let us continue to be a singing 
ascribing, saying, declaring people, Lord, and intensify that in our heart by renewing in us this, this song. Would you renew in us this song today? If there, is, if, if there are those here that th- that song feels stale and introverted and cold, would you aliven by your spirit that song, Lord, today? For those that are it's alive and fresh, would you just renew it even deeper and make it more alive? And Lord, let us be a bold people who go and go into the world around us, those loved ones around us, those neighbors and and coworkers and our spheres to who need to know you, Jesus, as well. Amen.